the days and weeks and months, maybe years ahead, I think are going to be the most trying in the history of this country as it relates to eradicating anti-Semitism. Because while we should always trust the American people to get it right, and they are right on this issue, they've been busying themselves with other things than attending to the institutions whose job is not to educate, but to transmit our values from one generation to the next, to the next. I dare say it's an honor to be introduced by Father Benedict. So thank you so much, my emerging good friend, which is really the theme of why we're here. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to help out the wonderful, noble mission of Philos. And it's always a pleasure to be here at Franciscan University. Some of you know that I was once president of Wyoming Catholic College, which means that I have a very special place in my heart for all faithful Catholic institutions, including the one that hosts this really important conversation over these few days. So to all of you who are formerly affiliated with Franciscan, hats off to you. You almost got one of our Roberts children, uh, but he's a freshman at Christendom. Our oldest is a senior at the University of Dallas. You sort of see the parameters that Mrs. Roberts and I place on school choices, and uh, the, the younger Roberts kids, no doubt, will pay their visits here. Maybe Franciscan will get one of them. It would certainly please both my wife and me. I mean it when I say it's an honor to be here. It's also a time of great duress for people of faith, particularly for our Jewish brothers and sisters. And, and I will say, in all seriousness, it's really nice to take a 12-hour break from the ongoing saga known as the election of the U.S. Speaker of the House. As we are here, I'm happy to report that our really good friend, my very close personal friend, Mike Johnson of the great state of Louisiana, will imminently be elected Speaker of the House. And that is important. That's a prediction, by the way in the next hour or two. And that's important for the very reason that you're meeting. Obviously, I'm going to talk about Catholic institutions. I'm not going to talk about politics, at least directly, but political power and the exercise thereof is part of this story. And so you might expect that the president of Heritage might say something about that. But no, for all of you affiliated with Philos, affiliated with Franciscan, other institutions, Mike is a tremendous man of faith. He is a huge friend as it relates to combating the evil of anti-Semitism, and I really look forward to his leadership as speaker. Having said that, I'm going to start with two stories of people you don't know, you've not heard of. Well, one of them you've heard of, but I'm going to allow him to remain anonymous. The first story is about the driver that I had from the airport. I've reached the point in life where I learned more from drivers than I ever did in graduate school. Nothing against my professors. They were smart men and women. But the University of Texas, they weren't exactly conservative. And this driver this morning said, well, sir, you know what? Well, I'll put it to you this way, verbatim. Why are you going to Steubenville, Ohio? And I said, I love Steubenville. These are my people. And he said, what do you mean? And so I told him about the conference, the Philos Project, told him about what I do. And he said, well, Mr. Roberts, is there really anti-Semitism inside the Catholic Church? And I said, I've never experienced it firsthand, but the point is, whether or not there is, we Catholics, especially those of us who happen to be politically and theologically conservative, need to be more vocal about that evil. 
And there is this pause. You're sort of waiting, right? Because you're not supposed to talk about politics and religion. And my house, that's all we talk about. We have people of all kinds of faiths at it for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, at Heritage last December for the first time in our 50-year history. We had our first menorah lighting ceremony that my friend Dr. Jay Green led, a very faithful Jew. All that to say, he and I, within two minutes of meeting one another, this driver and I, violating all of these prescriptions of American polite society. And there's this pause, so I'm waiting for like the other shoe to drop, like, I'm going to let you out right here. And he said, thank you. I'm a Jew. And I really appreciate it. So tell everyone thank you in Steubenville, Ohio. You see, this is why even those of us who have the privilege and dare I say burden of working on Capitol Hill are still hopeful about this great republic because it's filled with hundreds of millions of great people like my driver today, Nick. Second story is about a, a businessman whose name you would know. And, and because of the, the point of the story, I won't mention his name, but I was having breakfast with him recently. And he's a very faithful Jew. And we were in a big city where there are many other Jews, many great people of faith, great security. And we had to have a team of about a dozen security professionals guard us having breakfast. Not because of me, but because of him. Because he dare have the confidence to worship the faith of his forefathers, Judaism. We couldn't be near windows. The fear is palpable. And obviously, this was a problem before October 7th. But we know in stark contrast what a problem, what an evil, what an injustice, a tragedy that anti-Semitism is. So I'm here to tell you, people I don't know, some of you I know well, that for someone who leads a non-sectarian institution that is animated by the faith of its faithful Jews and Christians, by someone who's had the pleasure of leading two Catholic institutions, a college and a K-12 school that I started, that it's imperative that the most important people, other than Jews themselves, to combat anti-Semitism are Roman Catholics and the Roman Catholics who lead Catholic institutions. And I'm here to tell you that we're ready to do that, that the Heritage Foundation, which of course is non-sectarian, is going to stand with you shoulder to shoulder as we fight and eradicate anti-Semitism. So God bless you for your work. So a few points, and, and I know you want to get to questions, which will probably be more interesting than the few points here, but I want to make the points and also always offer at least a couple of solutions. But keep in mind, from this fifth generation teacher, my solutions are always homework assignments. So be prepared. Look, we're building a coalition across theological lines, but theological lines that are only lines. That is to say, for those of us who are Roman Catholics, we understand well what is at stake when people are not just expressing anti-Semitic views, but are actually killing Jews because of their faith. We have unfortunately seen this many times in history. But this call to figurative arms for us, I hope, might for members of the American military be a real call to arms. In fact, it is literally a call to arms for some of our armed forces. We will leave 
those prudential decisions to political leaders and pray, whatever their party affiliation, whatever we think of them, whether we voted for them or not, for their great unending discernment and courage in fighting anti-Semitism. But I'm someone who thinks that America is not won or lost. Civil societies are not won or lost by what happens in politics. And while wars are tragic and important and have huge consequences, obviously, even they don't dictate the outcome, the daily lives of people in the long term as much as something else that I'm going to talk about, and that's institutions. You see, it's probably not a surprise to you that I'm a Tocquevillian, and that even amid this duress that our Jewish friends are feeling, the evil that they have experienced, even the duress that we as faithful Christians feel on religious liberty, that we have an opportunity right now to revitalize American institutional life generally. It's something that I call the second American revolution. Hopefully bloodless or no more bloodshed, but in the sense that the most important thing that happened in the American revolution, Father Benedict, you might be surprised to hear this, isn't even what happened at Yorktown although we still celebrate that, my friend. It's what happened in the 1780s and 1790s. I think about Alexander Hamilton, one of my heroes. I am an early American historian, so you're going to get something about early American history here. And it is relevant, I promise. The most important thing that happened was not just the winning of the war, but the building of institutions that reflected this, not just quintessential, but unique American understanding of order liberty. Praise God for our British forebears who got us 90, 95% of the way in understanding ordered liberty. But the perfection of that, or the attempt to perfect that in the United States, happened not on the battlefield, but in the daily lives of Americans who restarted, in, in Hamilton's case, professional associations of lawyers, who started what you and I would recognize today as Rotary Clubs, Kiwanis Clubs. What social scientists, including some at this great university, call the mediating institutions of society. So my plea today, my urging for us today, especially for those of us who are Roman Catholics, who of course are not anti-Semitic, is not to sit on our hands knowing we're not part of the problem, but recognizing we must be part of the solution if we are part of any institution of faith. Because that's part of revitalizing this great country, which obviously, shall we say, is not experiencing its peak chapter. In other words, to confront and eliminate the scourge of anti-Semitism involves the same solution that we give Americans generally, which is, yes, pay attention to politics. And yes, live out your faith. Go to church, go to synagogue, be a good neighbor, all of those important but kind of trite-sounding things. But this ultimately is the plea to lean into our institutions in which there is tr truth and beauty and goodness and to use those institutions as tools, as weapons, if we must, to eliminate anti-Semitism. That's the call for those of us who are Roman Catholics. My Anonymous Jewish business friend at the end of our breakfast a few days ago, as I asked him, what beyond the obvious can I do? 
And he said, I need you to do one thing. I need you, Kevin Roberts, to do one thing. It got my attention. He said, I need you to tell every audience for the rest of your life, but especially if there are a lot of Catholics in that audience, we need you in this fight. Otherwise, we won't win it. And I promised him that I would. So this rise of anti-Semitic violence around the world in recent years is not, unfortunately, something that's surprising. And as I was researching over the last few days, objective data that indicates that this was a problem, obviously, before October 7th, there is literally no set of data. There's no public opinion survey. There is no study that we at Heritage have been able to find, and we have a lot of smart people there, that suggests anything other than the following pattern. That not only is anti-Semitism on the rise, in some measures, it has doubled and tripled in its prevalence. And the only way to fix that, or the two key ways to fix that, are of course to raise the awareness of it, to shed light on the darkness, but also to do something institutionally about it, which is to say that those of us who have the privilege of leading institutions have to be more active, energetic, vocal, courageous, dare I say, about what we do. So I, I heard on the trip over here this morning that Franciscan has announced it's a, a safe haven for Jewish students. I implore all Catholic institutions, whether they're in the Cardinal Newman Society, which means they're the best, are Catholic institutions that still need to be more faithful. We hold out hope and prayer for them and fast for them that they do the same. That's precisely the kind of thing that will embolden our Jewish friends to persevere. Because nothing angers anti-Semites more than Jews defending themselves from extermination. And if we know that's the case, which it is, let's rally Catholics and Catholic institutions to stand side by side. And I implore because I guess I can speak not just about Catholic institutions, which I've led, but public policy organizations. There's so much silence in American institutions, non-sectarian institutions in Washington, D.C. and other state capitals about this problem. They too, I won't name names, that's my, my point's not to be gratuitously critical, but to say in the same way that two years ago at the Heritage Foundation, when I was confronted with a reality I was ignorant of, which is that there was a perception that because the Heritage Foundation had apparently no Jewish members of its board, it had no apparently prominent Jewish donors, that it therefore must be part of the problem. The accusation was not that the Heritage Foundation was anti-Semitic, which I can report to you is not the case, but that we weren't doing enough. And look, I'm a, a social scientist, I guess you would say, by training. And so I started checking that hypothesis, talking to Jewish friends, Jewish donors, mostly on the political right, but some in the center. And they said, yeah. And you know what? It's, it's, that's not unique to heritage. So thank goodness you talk about providence. Two years ago, we started this truly wonderful and noble mission or project on combating anti-Semitism, which is, has already had a lot of momentum, but given the events of the recent weeks, we've really accelerated that. I don't say that to hold out the Heritage Foundation as being great or somehow better than anyone else. That's not at all my point. 
My point is to say, there's one example, which was fairly simple for us to do. Get together a few dozen of our colleagues, some of them Jews, some of them Catholics, some of them evangelical Protestants, and let's go to the extent we can help to end this scourge of anti-Semitism. And so that's a, that's a way of giving us hopefulness that there are efforts underway. Obviously, for those of us as Catholics, just to hang on this point in particular, because I know that's an interest of some of you, our older brothers in the faith are beset by savage enemies. These, these aren't just political opponents. This isn't the typical American battle of left versus right or you know, Catholics and Protestant friends having you know, awkward silence as we figure out how to talk about theology and Protestants wonder if we can quote the Bible. I love speaking to Protestant audiences and quoting scripture. People, people like the last time I did that a week ago, they're literally scratching their heads. Who is this guy? So I can read. We ought to be proud, of course, to be part of this effort. And we ought to recognize that the only description, the only way to describe a Roman Catholic who is combating anti-Semitism is Roman Catholic. Right? The persistence of anti-Semitism three years after Abraham, 2,000 after the resurrection, is painful. And as a matter of faith, the Bible imposes on Christians, as you know, a special responsibility of friendship and protection of the Jewish people. You've had some wonderful conversations about that thus far. In our American context, for those of us who are Catholics in the United States, we have a unique opportunity to uphold that duty. And that is because of our distinctive, I might argue, unique tradition and religious liberty, which is to say, of course, the basis for that, we understand, comes from Scripture. But the real embracing of that, and no disrespect to our British friend, I know he appreciates this point, the real perfection of that in a civil society sense has been here in the United States. And so one way we might engage people who aren't sure how involved they want to be in combating anti-Semitism is to connect the dots that if, in fact, even some tiny semblance of, of anti-Semitism, some tiny semblance of an anti-Jewish trope is allowed to go to be met with silence in a conversation, that we're not living out our own Christian duty. We're not being faithful to our own Christian duty to correct an error and, and to start asking questions about what people know about Judaism. You know, one of the problems or I should say one of the origins of the problem of so many American college students at institutions that are supposed to be influential in, if not explicitly saying anti-Semitic things, although some of them have, certainly explicitly anti-Israel chants, it's just but one step, obviously, to explicit anti-Semitism, is that they don't know. I mean, this, sorry to swerve back into public policy, it's just sort of my, my default. It's a problem of American education. And so the second thing that Catholic institutions must do, whether they're K through three schools or high schools or universities and colleges, is to make sure that they are teaching the truth. And part of teaching the truth is making sure that if at any of those colleges, this wouldn't be a problem at Franciscan, let me just be really blunt. If at any of those colleges, there is a professor, even if he or she is tenured, who isn't proclaiming the truth about Judaism and Israel, they ought to be fired, period. 
and withstand the lawsuits, grow a spine if you're a president or the, 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 the dean of faculty. This is a problem at some Catholic institutions. In other words, this is our moment as Roman Catholics, not just in terms of style, but also in terms of substance to show our courage on behalf of our Jewish brothers and sisters. To Catholics, the question, why do people hate Jews, in other words, shouldn't be a difficult one because we know history. The world hates Jews because Satan hates Jews. God's chosen people are the devil's chosen enemy. And having taught a little bit of logic once in a while, just forget the theology of that, although, of course, that's the most important thing. Just continue with the logic. We want to be on the side of God's chosen people, right? We don't want to be on the side of Satan. This is self-evident for anyone participating in this conference, but these are the kinds of conversations that have not been happening in enough classrooms, but not just any classroom, in enough classrooms of Roman Catholic institutions the world over. And it's time to fix it. That, of course, is related to some other issues, but I won't take our time here because I will get to questions. This morning, as is customary for me, I was up early praying, as I know all you do too, and I was reflecting on Matthew chapter 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Until heaven and earth pass, not the smallest letter or the smallest part of a letter will pass from the law. Our Blessed Mother herself, as you know, was Jewish. For those of us who are Catholic, do we need any other data point? Do we need any other inspiration, truly, any other inspiration to say to ourselves, we know we're not anti-Semitic, but what can I do to step out of my comfort zone? Maybe it's because we don't like to initiate difficult conversations. What can I do if I'm in a, a position of leadership or I'm a student and I'm thinking about how I want to have an impact on the world? Contemplate that. We have a very difficult set of circumstances in the United States in many levels. Obviously, anti-Semitism is the most pressing. But one of them, as I have said, and it's, it bears repeating, is the dearth of truth about anti-Semitism being taught in Catholic institutions. We ought to acknowledge readily, as we should in any institution, any university, chapters in our Christian history and early Christendom of anti-Semitism. Acknowledging that doesn't mean that we can't be part of the solution. Quite the opposite. But history shows with biting clarity, you know many of the examples, so I won't take the time to recount them, that the church's battle against anti-Semitism isn't just institutional, it isn't just from the pulpit, it isn't just from a papal encyclical. It really starts with us. It really is a battle, you might say, right here in our heart. And if we know in our heart, A, that we would not have a Roman Catholic church without Judaism. B, the interconnected history, politics, culture, economies, art, architecture of those two great traditions. 
and see that we abhor anti-Semitism, what I'm saying is now is the time, 2023, this very day, that not only we, but then we encourage our friends and neighbors, family members, strangers, drivers to participate. When this conference concludes, that's the action item. And I know that by virtue of your being here, that's what you're going to do. But let us promise to one another. I'll make this promise to you as I did to my business friend earlier this week. That we're never going to stop until anti-Semitism is eradicated. And for people like me, who are kind of born devil's advocates for the sake of getting to the nugget of the thing, sort of an academic's curse, I guess. We say, ah, we can, we can make a lot of headway against anti-Semitism, but we can't eradicate it. Let's not fall into that trap because we also know the omnipotence of our God, especially his unlimited love for his chosen people, without whom we would not have the United States of America. You know well, no doubt, the beautiful message that President George Washington wrote to the Hebrew congregation of Newport, Rhode Island. May the children of the stock of Abraham who dwell on this land continue to merit and enjoy the goodwill of the other inhabitants. While everyone shall sit in safety under his own vine and fig tree, and there shall be none to make him afraid. The history of Judaism is not just an important chapter in American history. We would not have America without the Jewish people. Some of you who follow institutions like Heritage, Heritage in particular, know we have a certain affinity for a particular American history professor named Russell Kirk. And it was Kirk who I think articulated the most brilliant framework for understanding history, period. And it's known as his five cities. A rather overlooked framework in his two wonderful books, The Conservative Mind and The Roots of American Order. Those five cities in chronological order, going backwards, were Philadelphia, 1776. London, for obvious reasons. Rome, obvious reasons. Athens, and Jerusalem, the first. That is, in Jerusalem, a few thousand years ago, our Hebrew ancestors understanding that God's law could be our law in a civil sense was new. The Athenians philosophized about that. The Romans administered that, ironically. The English got close. And the signers of the Declaration of Independence attempted to perfect it. And then wrote the strategic plan known as the U.S. Constitution. So it doesn't matter what our faith is. Any American should appreciate this. But I'll close by saying, those of us who are Roman Catholics, especially if we have ancestors who were in Maryland, 
which for only 22 years was actually a Catholic colony that Anglicans had something to do about that changing. For those of us who have Acadian ancestors who risked everything twice to leave the oppression of the British crown and ended up in a truly God-forsaken place in terms of climate where I grew up, the Gulf Coast of Louisiana, but with the most beautiful people and culture and traditions, isn't it not a coincidence that you wouldn't find a shred of anti-Semitism among them? Because they can relate. That's our challenge. And let me say before ultimately concluding on what I promise will be a hopeful point, that the days and weeks and months, maybe years ahead, I think are going to be the most trying in the history of this country as it relates to eradicating anti-Semitism. Because while we should always trust the American people to get it right, and they are right on this issue, they've been busying themselves with other things than attending to the institutions whose job is not to educate, but to transmit our values from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. This is the second American Revolution. And just like the first, the outcome of the second, which is revitalizing those institutions, kicking some of the rotten ones to the sea and starting from scratch, which I've done twice, is the answer. And let us, in a nod to our Jewish brothers and sisters, take solace from the prophet Isaiah. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God bless you. The Kevin Roberts Show is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producer is Crystal Kate Bonham. The producer is Philip Reynolds. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and Tim Kennedy. For more information and to subscribe, please visit heritage.org.